eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone. As he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, up to bat, Brett Boone. Welcome everybody, it's time for another edition of Turning Two with Booney here on the Brett Boone Podcast. I'm the Executive Director. Rich Herrera, along with the gold glove winning, silver slugging, golfing fiend, binge-watching freak, Red Boone. How you doing, Rich? And yeah, my golf this week, it played it. It wasn't good. Now, I, we're going to talk about that. I, I got to come fine. up with different ways to introduce you every week so people know that we we do this on a weekly basis. That on the third edition of the podcast, it's you and me, and we get to see what it's like to be Brett Boone. You got it. All right, and also it's... Uh, How exciting is that today? Uh, it gives me a break, too. Once again, I've already said that every time we've had Turning Two with Boom, but I do like... This is more what I've done my whole life, being right. in the in the number two chair and answering questions. I can, I can slouch in my chair. You know, I like to have the pen available to add a little professionalism to it, but... Uh, Don't slouch I'm, that much. I'm ready to go. All right. I want to start off the podcast today by thanking... Yankees 25 BB. You know who that is? Yankees, if I had to guess, uh, that would be, I got no clue. You know what? That's the dude that listened to us last week and said, hey, I'm going to give a review of the Boone podcast. So Yankees 25 BB said this about the podcast. He said, great pod. By far the best podcast out there. Great guest and awesome stories. Love it. So, Yankees, 25 BB, <laughs> thank you. You got it. That All away, right. Yankees, 25 BB. If you I want like, us to I like mention the BB. you, yeah, if you want to mention us, leave us a review. Subscribe to the podcast on uh, the Odyssey app or wherever you get your uh, podcast. We would love it. And, again, big shout-out to Yankees, 25 BB. I wonder if he's a Tick Sheriff fan. Could be. Or a BB, so. he could be a Boone fan. Brett Boone. He Always thinking, Rich. Always thinking. All right. There you go. All right. Let's get into it. What are we going to talk about this week? Um, saw this. Justin Verlander becomes the 25th pitcher to beat all 30 teams in Major League Baseball. Boone, big deals, little deal. Well, it, it's not something we're measured on, obviously. Uh, it'd be like you hit a home run against every team. 
uh, that that's great, but it's nothing he set out to do. I think Justin's career speaks for itself. Uh, first ballot hall of famer for sure. The incredible thing to me that, that Justin's done, he's always been a great pitcher, but I mean, he's pitching into, you know, we're, we're looking at 40 years old now and mm -hmm. he, he's come, he's coming back from an injury. Uh, he came back from an injury a year ago, won the Cy Young. Uh, not too many people do that. Only the elite guys that I've ever competed against have, have the ability to do that at such a, a late in the game age. Uh, he's coming back from, from an injury this year, signed the big deal, um, signed the big deal this off season, went to the Mets and uh, yeah, collected his way. I, I'm sure that's just another feather in his cap for him. Uh, something definitely not too many people have done, especially in today's, today's day and age where wins aren't at a premium you know if it's 1986 uh right. and you do something like that that's a big deal because wins are what it's all about um but to be able in to today's... do it for that long that you beat every team in both leagues says something for the level like of said, play in longevity yeah i can't i there's there's not enough to say about him he's he's one of the best right handers of i, I don't want to just say a generation when i say generation i think about my generation that i played in in that 15 20 year window i right. think it i think it uh, expands beyond that for a justin verlander maybe the one of the best pitchers in the last 30 40 years which which is two generations in my opinion you know from what i think of generational uh, baseball wise, who was so, the best generational? Who who was the best pitcher? Because Boone played from the nineties into the year nineties and two thousands. Uh, that's up for debate with me. You know, you know my go to answer, Maddox Smoltz Glavin. It makes it easy. The conversation kind of ends. The whoever asked me says, "Oh yeah, they were great." The nineties, they were great. Uh, the three of them together uh, were as good as anybody, as as good a foe as as anybody. Uh, let's see. And nice teammates to play behind. Great teammates to play behind. I think. Okay, well, let me let me do it. Let me do it this way then. Um, you can't there's a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys that are in the conversation, Rich. Okay, that's, let's that's what I'm then. Seattle. Randy Johnson, maybe the premier left-hander. He's in the argument for in the history of the game, uh, but definitely the greatest ever in Seattle Mariner history. And like I said, he he's in the conversation for the best to ever do it. Um, because I looked through, you know, generationally, Randy Johnson, amazing. You you played with him, you played with uh Glavin Spoltz Maddox. Um, who else are you gonna throw on that list? I'm gonna throw for a four or five year period, Pedro Martinez. Okay. That's about as good as it got. I mean, he was so dominant for that. You want to talk about longevity, greatness. Is that uh, Red Sox, Pedro Martinez? Yes. Okay. I, I came up with Pedro. Pedro and myself played against each other in, in AAA in the Coast League. That's where I first faced Pedro for the first time. He obviously went on to Montreal, went to Boston. Uh, one of the greatest to ever do it. Roger Clemens, seven Cy Youngs. That speaks for itself. One of the greatest to ever do it. Uh that's who come to mind right now. In modern day, Verlander's right there. Scherzer, first ballot. You go over to the National League, Clayton Kershaw. Right. I was going to just first, ask about first that. ballot. Uh, I was thinking okay, about well, Clayton. okay. Wait a minute. Hold on. We got to we got to separate the generations. Then. All right. So now I know Boone's generation. Now let's talk about today's generation. So you're going to put out there, obviously Clayton Kershaw. These are guys with bodies of work. These aren't right. the younger pitchers. No, no, these still are bodies of work. Bodies of work. Uh, Scherzer, for sure. Uh, Verlander, for sure. Kershaw, for sure. Kershaw is in that Koufax conversation. Okay. He's in the Randy Johnson conversation. He's in the Tom Glavin conversation as the greatest left-handers of all time. So that's a, that's a pretty unique situation Absolutely. to be in. When you talk about a Verlander and a Scherzer, uh, of course you have to put them in the conversation with the, with the greatest of the greats. Go back to Bob Gibson. Because uh, we're talking greatest of, not the greatest. The greatest of the generation. So there's multiple that you can right, put in. There's, right, but I think any ones that are the best of that, their generation have to be put in the conversation long term. You have to. If, 
if Barry, if, if let's, let's call it Babe Ruth. And we talk about Ruthisms all the time. Right. You get something named Ruthism after you, you're a pretty big deal. So you start with that. You go into the DiMaggio's and, and, uh, Ted Williams, the Ted Williams, uh, and, and move it on to the next generation of great players. Uh, my generation, it was Barry Bonds, Mickey Mantle. These are, these are today. It's we, Mike Trout. Today it's Mike Trout. So if you're the best of the best for your generation, you have to be in that big conversation yeah. for all time. So I would put Mike Trout in the Babe Ruth conversation. I'm also going to put Barry Bonds. I'm also going to put Mickey Mantle. I'm also going to put Ted Williams. Uh, Ted Williams. Uh, of course, if you're the best of your generation, you're in the big picture conversation. Madison Bumgarner. Does he just? Uh, I think he's just hanging him up. Does he make that list? No, he's doesn't have the body of work. But uh, he's more of that short term. I, I think you put Madison Bumgarner in one of the greatest postseason pitchers of all time. Right. In my eyes, the greatest postseason performance of all time. I believe that was, correct me if I'm wrong, 214-ish. Yeah. When, when he went uh, on three days rest, on two days rest. And I, I think he went on one day's him. rest. And not only – I thought he was going to come in and face a, a particular left-handed hitter. He finished the game with three innings. Right. That was the greatest postseason performance I've ever seen. Okay, so someone's sitting in their car right now or they're on the they're on a, a stationary bike or they're on the treadmill and they're screaming one other name. They're like, boom, come on. How can you leave this guy out? Give me somebody who might, for your generation, whoever's we, on that treadmill right now is getting mad because you didn't mention them. We talking hitter? We talking pitchers? We're talking pitchers. Pitchers. My generation. My your generation. So you we, we obviously we said the big unit. We said the big three from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. But there and, and you said Petey, Pedro Martinez. There's got to be one more that somebody else Clemens. Clemens. Okay. Maybe one more that's on the cusp, but that we're gonna fight about it at a sports bar. Wow. Cause you know there's somebody listening right now screaming at their phone, like Boone, why not? I'm listening and oh. Man, that is a tough. I, I I think I'm going to throw a name at you. Okay. For for short term. Yep. Uh. Well, help me out with him, Rich. We go shilling. Kevin Brown Uh-oh. for a three three or four year period. Yeah. Good luck facing him. Uh, shilling shilling great. Uh, actually got better as his as his sure. career progressed. First half of his career, Kurt Schilling. I have no problem facing him. Comfortable at bat for me. Obviously very good top-notch pitcher. But when he, in his Arizona days, in his Boston days, when he came up with a split finger, that was next level Kurt Schilling. If he would have been, if he if he would have had that split from the get-go, uh, I, I think we'd be talking about Kurt Schilling Hall of Famer right now. But I don't think he got to that Hall of Fame level until the second half of his career. And, and now I think you know, the debate is, did he do it long enough? And and that's going to be out there for a while. I think eventually Kurt Schilling will probably get into the Hall of Fame in some capacity. But uh, definitely the second half of his career, split finger Kurt Schilling, uh, without a doubt, Hall of Fame. But the debate's there. First half, was it enough? Okay, so you mentioned Kevin Brown. I saw Kevin Brown throw a uh, no-hitter. First time I ever saw a no-no thrown at Candlestick Park against the Giants. Talking about Kevin Brown. Kevin Brown, Kevin Brown was one of those guys. There was a couple guys I faced uh, early in my career that I thought they could go out there with one pitch and complete a big league game. There's not too many guys that have the ability to do that. Kevin Brown could have done it. Uh, Ramon Martinez, Mm. who is Pedro's older brother, could do it with just just the fastball. Very rare. I wouldn't say that about too many people, but Kevin Brown at his peak – was throwing about a 94 to 96 mile an hour fastball with Greg Maddox movement. Mm. One of the heaviest balls I've ever faced. And it's basically, listen, I'm throwing you a two seamer boonie. It's going to start down the middle. It's going to break over the inner half. Good luck with it. And uh, pretty impressive. Okay. I've seen it before where, you, where the hitters are telling me, I know what's coming. I just can't do anything. I know where it's going to start. I know where it's going to end. I know where it's going to move. 
I just can't touch it. Well, there's certain pitches, and there's certain, and and there's not too many of them. Uh, I it come to mind a Trevor Trevor Hoffman. And we're gonna talk about him in just a sec. A Trevor Hoffman changeup. Trevor could tell you me knew it's coming over a microphone, Booney. I am throwing you a changeup, and it's 50-50 whether I'm gonna put it in play. And Why? and and for Why ninety, was it so tough. It just seemed like it never got there. The arm action was just, impeccable. You were just Bugs Bunny, right? The arm action was the same arm action on his fastball. So that there was the deception there. Uh, the the differentiant between the fastball and the changeup was more than most. Usually there's a uh, 10, right? 10 mile an hour. Trevor's was more 15. So that's always an advantage because we're trained to hit a certain way, Rich. If it's 92 to 93 with a fastball and your slider's 83 to 85, we're trained as hitters. We know what that difference is. All of a sudden, you throw that breaking ball at 78. We're not trained for that. Right. We're not ready for that. And, and it throws us off. Trevor was that one. His fastball sat in the low 90s in his heyday, uh, but his changeup was, was 76. And it just never got there. Tommy Glavin's changeup never got there. Mariano Rivera's cutter was remarkably heavy. I, I usually talk about a heavy fastball. That's a two-seam fastball. The Kevin Brown, the Greg Maddox sinker, heavy. Feels like a bowling ball coming off your bat. Rarely is a, is a, is a cutter heavy. It's usually light. It's just the movement going away from you you're not used to. But Mariano's cutter was like a bowling ball only it wasn't a sinker does that make sense am, am i no 100 uh, yeah so so he had a special pitch like that uh billy wagner's fastball it was a hundred but it was a different hundred i, I couldn't see it they said it, it's it's impossible for a pitch to rise i swear wagner's ball rose <laughs> i don't know if it's true or not when you get into the physics of it but but my eyes told me it did. So let me get back to what you're saying about you're trained to hit a certain way. You're trained to see the arm action and expect it to be on top of you like that. Um, how did you do against knuckleballers? Did you face Wakefield or Candiotti? First knuckleballer I ever faced was Charlie Huff, uh, one of the pioneers of it. Uh, obviously, obviously, Negro being one, never faced Negro. Uh, Charlie Huff, uh, Candiotti, who was people call him a knuckleballer, but he's and I think if you ask Tommy, he'd call himself more of a curveball pitcher because right. anytime he thought the knuckleball was coming, he'd slap a curveball in on you. And it was a big 12 6 slow, uh, acted as a knuckleball. He also had that knuckleball. So Huff was the first one, Candiotti, and then Wakefield, who was the majority of my career. Uh, I faced him, another guy I faced in the minor leagues. I, I faced Wakefield in A ball. Really, uh, he he started throwing that knuckleball. He was a position player. He changed to be a pitcher, and that's where it all started in the Carolina League for him. Faced him throughout my career. Uh, I, there's somebody I'm missing. Uh, How did you do against them? Sparks. Oh, he was a knuckleballer. I, I faced him in Detroit. Steve Sparks. I'd say, yeah, I would yeah. say for the most part. When okay, when you're in the zone and you're hitting and everything's going good, you're seeing the ball good, you're having good at bats. The last thing on earth you want to see is a knuckleball pitcher. Okay. Because all of a sudden now it's like a slow pitch softball game. Because I can do everything right, be on time, put a perfect swing on the ball and come up empty. Because you just it's so unpredictable what it's going to do at the last minute. Does it really dance? It really dances. And when uh, quite the contrary, let's say I'm lost. I'm over my last 12. I can't buy a hit and a knuckleballers pitch it. I think to myself, maybe I got a chance against him, you know, cause I don't have a chance against the traditional over the top fastball slider guy. Uh, Hey, I'll take my chances today. Go up there maybe with a different bat, get my softball stance and have at it. That is awesome. That is awesome. By the way, for those of you that are listening to the podcast, uh, Brett's got a small ear to ear talking about facing a knuckleballer. Yeah, it's no, it's like I said, it's a tale of two different worlds. When I was yeah. hot, Rich, and, and now all of a sudden Wakefield's coming, I'm going, what? Come on, what is this? A circus? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm on. You know, I'm, I'm feeling good in there. He could screw me up for a week. Really? Yeah. I mean, he pot, he had that ability because it's such a different animal. Um, we, you, you just spoke about Trevor cause I actually have my notes. I wanted to bring him up Uh pretty exclusive fraternity. 
of closers with 400 plus saves. Kenley Jansen, now Kenley the Boston Jansen. Red Sox, joins that fraternity. So it's Mo with 652, Trevor with 600, Lee Smith 478, uh, Francisco Rodriguez 437, uh, John Franco 424, Billy Wagner 422, and now Kenley Jansen joins that illustrious group with 400. Reaction? That's a pretty. That's a pretty good group. You. Just mentioned a lot of the guys I've faced in my career. And and I think I think as time goes on, that that closer role, you know, didn't start really about 30 years ago where really closer meant something. Uh, before that, it was by committee in the bullpen. Um, so I think you're going to see that group rise as time goes on. I think there's going to be more people in that 400 club. That being said, uh, pretty elite company he's with right there. And, and I've watched – Jansen over the years, another position player that changed into being a closer. I believe he was a catcher. He's a catcher that couldn't throw straight. Right. Uh, The impressive thing about Jansen, he's a three-time All-Star. He's led the league in saves a couple times. I believe he's saved 40 more games four times. Uh, The impressive thing about him, though, was a couple years ago they said he was done. They right. were writing him off. He couldn't throw a strike. Uh, when he did throw a strike, it, it was being put in play hard. And that's usually the the tale of closers. You know, they're on fire, they're unhittable, and then one day they can't get anybody out and they go off into the sunset and that's the end of it. Uh, the impressive thing for me about Kenley is he was all but written off. All of a sudden he found something last year. Uh, tweaked his delivery, worked with somebody in the offseason, changed it up, and a noticeable change on the mound, and uh, had a good year. And then going into this year, he's got a sub-1 ERA uh, with a new team in Boston. And, uh, you know, I, he's got – let me see here. He's got nine saves to start the season. Uh, truly pretty darn good and and uh, pretty big accomplishment, 400 okay. save club. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Let me, let me throw a scenario out at you. You ready? You're playing at the old Safeco Field, now T-Bowl Park, where you and I are going to hang out during the All-Star game this year. Right? Well, I'll, I'll decide as we get closer. Depends how you do on turning two with Boone. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to work really hard at this. So, bottom of the ninth inning, two away. Uh, each your row is on second base. I need bottom, to knock. Oh, wait, a, wait a minute. Bottom of the ninth inning. Yeah. You're 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 down by no your tie game tie game. Uh, each row standing at second base. Okay. Boone's coming to the plate. Two outs. Right. Who is the last man on earth you want to see standing on the mound trying to finish off a ball game? Who is the toughest closer? So we're just going to limit it to closers. Yeah, for me, that's, well, that's, for that's me, for you, because there's certain like when I worked in Tampa Bay, uh, we knew that you, you don't want to go. You don't want to go to the bottom of the ninth with Mo coming in. Game over. There's Without certain closers doubt. that you know they short. The announcers will say they shorten the ball game. Well, there's not there's not too many closers that I face that I ever liked facing because they're all they're closers for a reason. Right, they're nasty, and even on your best day, I'll give you an example. Mariano, I faced him quite a bit in, in the postseason, not too much during the regular season. Didn't mind Mariano. Uh, I felt when I stepped in the box, I knew it was coming. It was going to be a cutter away. It was going to be heavy. So I was in my mind. I'm thinking, I'm not trying to lift this ball. I'm not trying to hurt him. I'm not trying to hit a ball in the gap. I'm not 
I'm the last thing on my mind is home run because that ball, my, my swing, the way that ball felt on my bat, it, it, it wasn't, it wouldn't have been, uh, there's no wise. There's no carry to it. So I, I, I would resolve myself on deck, say, okay, it's Mariano. He's going to throw your cutters away. You're going to take your base hit to right, and you're going to move on with life. You're not going to take him deep. You're not going to hit, get an extra base hit. I had that approach. approach? Not, yeah, yeah, kind of, but not exaggerated. It wasn't, you wouldn't know I was in my two strike approach, but the thought process was that I'm going to take my base hit to right, and I'm going to live to, to play another game. Um, and I didn't mind Mariano. That being said, I think Mariano is the greatest of all time. Yeah. The guys that I had trouble with, Trevor gave me trouble. I think I took him deep once, so I can't put him in this. I'm going to look at a guy that I know for a fact I never got a hit off, and we've we've already mentioned him, Billy Wagner. Really? It's not that I didn't see his ball well. It looked like a beach ball coming up there. But I could not, for the life of me, get a base hit off Billy Wagner. It wasn't an uncomfortable at bat. I saw the ball great. Uh, he would occasionally throw me a breaking ball. It wouldn't fool me, but I'll tell you time after time, he'd throw me that fastball where my eyes light up going, I'm going to get this one and I'd pop it straight up. So, uh, I don't know if he's the last guy I'd want to face because it was a comfortable at bat. I felt like I had a chance, but I think the statistics bear it out, uh, over whatever that I didn't have too much of a chance. Okay. Third story to talk about. Um, I don't know if you saw this, that, you know, Fernando Tatis, now that he's back, is playing in the outfield. Mm -hmm. So he came up with a uh, base hit into right field, came up throwing 100 miles an hour. Don't care. Don't care. Okay, well, that's the part. Right, that's a a part of me that I don't care. (laughs) I don't care how hard the ball comes off your bat. I don't care how fast you throw the ball. I care about efficiency. I care about catch throw. How long did it take him by the time that ball hit his glove to get it online to the base he was throwing to? That's what a great outfielder was. Uh, You talk about Ichiro earlier. As fundamentally sound catch throw as I've ever seen. I came up with another guy who wasn't necessarily known for his defense, but fundamentally catch throw was as good as anybody ever played with Jay Buhner. Oh, and, and people don't talk about him as a, as a defensive guru, but fundamentally catch throw Jay was as good at anybody as getting that ball in his hands on a line to you, hit you in the chest. He was as good as anybody I've ever seen. So I don't care how hard you throw it. It doesn't matter. It's what, what did it take to get there? That being said, Tatis, one of my, one of my favorite talent. I know he's one of my favorite talents out there. He's playing right field. He's just an athlete that could play anywhere you put him. He's a shortstop. And you know what I think about shortstops? It's the toughest position by far in the field defensively. Right. And if you're a if you're a major league shortstop, you can play anywhere on the field. Okay. So when you're the so I also noticed because as Carlos Correa he threw out of the plate, and Correa kept looking back, looking back, looking back. What are you thinking as a as a base runner running in, trying to score, and you've got somebody with a hose out there like Tatis or Ichiro, or you know we've had uh, Harold Reynolds on the program and. There's the famous Bo Jackson throwing him out. Uh, yeah, from where, right where you can't believe that Bo got to that ball, got rid of it so quickly, and then just threw a seed to get him. Yeah, guys that come to mind, you know, back in the day, it was Dave Parker, it was Ellis Valentine. Oh, and then you get into a Raul Mondesi. I'm gonna uh, it, it, help me out here. Pittsburgh Pirate, early 90s, right fielder was about as good as anybody I've ever seen from an arm strength standpoint. I can't think of his name. Not Vance like he was in center. It wasn't Vance like. Uh um I'll come up with it. Anyway, back to your question. So do you know so okay no, I, 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 I take it I, I take everything into consideration. I take into consideration the velocity the ball was hit. Uh, if I can get my eye on it. Now if it's down the right field line, if I'm running scoring from first base or second base once I scoring from first base, everything from the right fielder over to the line, that's the, that's the third base coach. He's my eyes. Okay. Uh, everything from right field over. That's my, I'm watching the play as I'm rounding the bases, but I'm going to take into consideration velocity. The ball was hit where it was hit. Who's the fielder out there. 
And then I'm going to take into consideration who is my third base coach. Cause when I had a third base coach that I trusted, uh, I'm rolling with him. I'm looking for him and, and I'm not going to make any decision. I never ran through a stoplight and, and I never, uh, I never stopped when I was, when I was waved home. So I'll, that's where the confidence comes. And sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Sometimes it was the right call to send the guy. But everything went so picture perfect that if you did it 10 times, they couldn't recreate that two or three times. It just happened on that particular play. Everything went perfect. The throw was perfect. So I don't know. I've been surprised sometimes. I thought I was going to be easily safe and it was close. I've been surprised where I thought I was going to be safe and I was out. And and there's times where I'm halfway between third and home, knowing that third base coach made a mistake and somehow I score. So that's one of those things that's, that's very uh, – it's not in cement, right? That answer. I, I know you're not paying attention, but I'm a big Warriors fan, so I've been watching this Lakers Warriors. You're binge watching stuff. You're, you're, you're exposing me right now, but yes, go no, ahead. You're binge watching. You're watching. I called yesterday. You're watching baseball. Yeah, you're you're I, watching. Were you watching the Mariners because the Yankee game was early? So I think you're watching the Mariners when we were talking. I was watching basketball. You're watching baseball, right? But something came up last night during the Laker Warrior game. So they interview uh, Darvin Ham, the Lakers head coach, mm-hmm. and he's responding in the middle of the game to something Steve Kerr said the game before. So Kerr said, you know, something about the Lakers are flopping, meaning they're, they're they get a little right. bit of physical contact, and they flop down like a soccer player. And then Darvin Ham responded back, "We don't teach flopping." Well, the Lakers, I think they have the least amount of free throws and fouls called their way uh, that they've had in the series now. It's 3-2. So we'll see how the referees um, officiate the next one. But they were talking quite a bit. I think it was um, Van Gundy, Stan Van Gundy, because Mike works at ESPN. Stan works, did the game last night with, um, um, uh, I was on TNT, um, did the game last night. Once again, once again, Rich, because I'm not paying attention, I can't help you on, on what station it was and what time. <laughs> Brian Anderson. There you I'm, go. I'm going to make sure Brian listens. Brian to Anderson, left-handed pitcher. Left no, no, that's pitcher. Brian Anderson who's doing Ray, uh, TV I, I now for I'm, the Rays. Brian I'm Anderson's aware. the Brewers announcer. Correct. Okay. And uh, Arizona Diamondback lefty. Arizona Diamondback lefty. Yeah. So they were talking about gamesmanship last night, obviously. Uh, the referees called the game a little bit differently. Maybe it was because Kerr was Kerr was uh, complaining. LeBron said it after the ball game. We don't flop. We don't get taught to flop. We don't teach that over here. But yeah, there's right. a little bit of gamesmanship going on. That goes on at baseball as well. So I wanted to ask you about gamesmanship of riding the umpires, being nice to the umpires, talking to the umpires, complaining to the umpires. Um, can you get them to be to be more sympathetic to your plight by working them a little bit without a doubt. And so what do you do? It's I went out of my way, uh, my professional career to be very cordial and have a relationship with the umpires as I could, uh, engage them. And, uh, your dad taught you that, didn't he? He said, you don't want them to be your enemy. <laughs> and, and I took that advice and it's not that I was buddy buddies with every umpire for the most part, umpires are good guys. I mean, I, I got along very well with the majority of the umpires. Yeah. Like I had you my, get along with Joe West. Yeah. I, I had my favorites uh, and I had my guys that I didn't really care for, but I made it, I went out of my way just to have a relationship. And I have that opportunity being a second baseman. I get to see all the umpires in a series because they go from third to second to, to first. So I know when I come out for game one uh, of a series, whoever's umpiring at second and two day, two nights from now, he's going behind the plate and he's going to have my life in his hands. So, uh, I'm, and as you go on and you get more experience, you have more time and, and you get years in the big leagues. Uh, a lot of the umpires, there's not a ton of turnover. So you get to know these guys and, and yeah, I'd go out my, for the first inning and I, depending on who it was with which we've talked at length about Joe West, Joe West is second base. He's been on uh, our podcast, right? What am I going to say? Hey, fat ass. How's it going tonight? <laughs> now that's my way of saying, Hey Joe, have you been? Okay. It's almost like when we go into a New York deli and I order a, uh, corned beef on rye. Okay. 
How is the New York deli going to greet me? Yeah, what the hell you want? <laughs> now, I smile because I know he doesn't mean anything by it. That's a New That's Yorker's way talk. of saying, how you doing today? Can I take your order? So, no offense taken. I think you you develop a rapport with these guys. Now, everybody wasn't didn't have the relationship that I I and Joe had. Right. He would make he would make fun of me about my height. I would make fun of him about his weight. I, I'd pick on him about his music career. He, he'd make fun of me if I don't have any hits in the series. That's just <laughs> our relationship, and we understood each other. Uh, some other guys were no. Hey, Johnny, how you doing today? You know how you been? Where you? Where you coming from? Uh, just chit chat. Some guys would would be would engage more. Hey, Booney, what's a good place to eat in this city? You know, we've got a day game tomorrow. We're going to go out after the game. So it's just small talk. Like I said, most of the guys I liked, I got along with. Um, but definitely, and I teach young players this. Uh, not necessarily teach, but when asked for my advice, I say, the umpires are your friends. And my first advice to young players in the minor leagues is, when the lineup card is put up in the dugout, go to that lineup card because the umpires will be written down. And now if you're an A-ball, if Joe Smith is behind the plate, make a note of that in your mind. So when you go up for your first bat, say, hey, Joe, how you doing today? First of all, Joe's going to drop his mask. He can't believe that this little A-ball player knows, went out of the way to find out what his name is. And believe me, that sticks with people. That's impressive. That's doing your homework. He's probably going to be having a beer with his his umpire and crew after the game in A-ball somewhere going, you know that little shortstop that just signed? He's 18 years old. He came up and he knew my name. Guys remember stuff like that, and they appreciate it. And, and that's the fact that you had the respect enough to go figure out What's the name of that guy behind home plate? What's the name of the man on third, second, first? I think that's the first thing you do, and it goes a long way. I think you argue uh, respectfully in the right way. You know, okay. I used to step out of the box, and and if that ball, if I think that ball's down, I'm going to step out of the box, and I might say it firmly. I'm not going to be disrespectful, but I'm going to no, say, you- "Damn it, damn it, that ball's down. Get better." And and I might have a Joe West coming back to me, Booney. That ball's not down. It's a good bitch. Joe, that ball's down. Now, my goal there is I'm not going to get the pitch changed mid at bat, but I want to make him think about it and think, eh, you know what? Maybe that ball was a little bit down. The next time that pitch is in the same position, he's going to remember that conversation, and maybe it's going to be a ball. Maybe. But but I, I got a better chance if I say something. I don't suggest turning around, dropping an F-bomb on an umpire. Do it in a respectful way. And if you do that, they'll respect you. Okay, so if you listen to us do the podcast before, you listen to any of my national shows, I've been to umpire school. So I'm kind of an umpire apologist. And they, they told us, hey, listen, they can complain all they want as long as they don't make it personal. They could say, hey, boom, that's a horrible call. Or... And that's okay. Or, hey, Boone, you made a horrible call. Second you do that, boom, goodbye. Right. I got thrown out of one game in my life. But you say, but you know what? It wasn't anything I said. It's what I, it was an illegal ejection. I've talked (laughs) about it before. (laughs) Wait a minute. You've only been run once in my entire life. All right. So there's something that Aaron's better at than you are, which is getting run from ball games. See, I don't get run from ball games. It's it's people skills. It's it's <laughs> life skills. You know, I, I had that ability as a kid in school. You know, I was that wise, wise ass kid that the teacher really liked to a point. But I knew when that point was there. You know, I knew when when Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Jones had had enough and, and it wasn't this little cute Brett. He's he's really got a fun personality. I had crossed that line and you're an annoying little punk kid. <laughs> I knew that. And that's when you back off. Same thing with umpires. It's life. It's life. It's interacting. I, I want if if you're at umpire school and you're behind the plate, Rich, I want Rich Herrera to like me. Right. I want him to respect me and I'm going to be firm with him when I need to be firm. But as long as he respects my retort, uh, when push comes to shove, he's going to go, you know what? Yeah, Brett's a pain in the ass sometimes, and he has a lot to say. But if he respects what I say, in the end, you are you might get that pitch. And not that they're going out of their way and, and lacking integrity, but I think it's part of the human psyche yeah. that if you like somebody and you missed a call, they called you on it, you know in your heart of hearts, 
it's of human nature if that falls in the same spot to call it reverse and, and umpires they'll go to their they'll go to the mat with you on hey we don't do makeup calls i was just gonna ask you that but i'll tell you what it's human nature i'm not saying you premeditatedly went to the makeup call put it in their head but in your mind in your subconscious you know so you made that call so it, it's it's gamesmanship at the highest level but uh it's something i suggest umpires a, are we, your friends who, who we we've had joe west on right mm-hmm didn't we have Tim Cheetah on as well? Tim Cheetah, yes, yeah. we did. We had Tim Cheetah. All right, so let me answer this question for you. For those of you that are watching the video, Brett, so I got a baseball in my hand, right? Yes. Okay, so I'm going to move the baseball over here. Tell yeah. me, where does it stop being a strike? Is I'm moving the, for those of you listening to the podcast, I got the baseball and I'm moving it. All the baseballs now within the strike zone. Now I got an eighth of it out, quarter of it out. Half of it out, another eight, three eighths of it out, three About quarters there. of it out. About there. I just got to clip one quarter of the ball's got to be in the strike zone for it to be a strike. Yeah. Because that's the difference between an umpire that's squeezing or not. How much of the ball, how much of the ball is he going to give you? Does it have to be halfway, three quarters, but, all the right. way in? But we also have to decide as hitters what is what's the point in the game? What's the situation? How many strikes do I have on me? That's a pitcher's pitch. Mm-hmm. When I'm, when I'm, if it's a 2 0 count and he makes a nasty pitcher's pitch, I don't want that. I've got three strikes to work with. If I've got two strikes, that quarter of the ball you were just talking about, I might extend my strike zone because right. I'm not going to put it, I'm not going to put it into to an umpire's hand to ring me up and go back to the bench without swinging. And then I can yell all I want. And we can debate how it wasn't a strike. Well, the bottom line is you're out and you're going back to the bench. So it doesn't matter what your opinion is at that point. But if I have a 2-0 count, a 3-0 count, and it's a really good on that borderline strike, I don't want that anyway. So I'm going to give it to them. And I'm not really going to have a problem with it either way. As the, as the count count changes it goes to one two or a two two or an oh two count i've got to expand my zone and i and i've got to almost put an inch around the perimeter of the plate and say i'm willing to uh swing at a pitch in this area because i'm not going to let the human element take over and ring me up umpires aren't perfect that's a really hard job it's easy at home for people to sit there with the little white computer box and and uh slow it down to ultra slow-mo and say see it tip the part of the corner of the white line well, try doing that at 100 miles an hour in the heat of the game with 50,000 people yelling at you. It's not that easy. It's really tough. And I think Tim Cheetah, for one, said, Booney, you'll be surprised at this, but the data shows that the umpires in 2023, and they're as, as scrutinized as they've ever been in the history of the game with all the technology we have. He said they rank as the best umpires to ever do it when it comes back strictly in data and actually i believe him a guy like tim cheetah is not going to come it's not his generation anymore he's not going to give the guys that much credit if it isn't true so that was really a a pretty cool thing to hear from from a guy that's been around the game a long time i think i went to umpire school maybe 10 years ago and they told us that the average that the the staff shoots is 96 percent right on balls and strikes yeah because they're trained people don't understand they're not they're not trained that little white boxes for entertainment purposes only and at home we sit there and we're armchair quarterbacks and we yell at the tv that's not how these umpires train train they train on a different set and you would know that by going to umpire school they know what's a strike they know what's a ball yes is there human element in there of course there's still going to be great umpires and there's still going to be the worst umpires in the big leagues there, there is a scale there, and the players know who they are. Right. All we ask as players, as hitters, establish your zone early and stick to that zone. Be consistent. As long as I know what that zone is, I don't have a bitch with you. All right, then I do have to ask this question then. You played behind the big three, and yes, you faced the big three, mm-hmm. Glavin, Smoltz, Maddox, and we've had them all on the podcast. Was their strike zone the same as everybody else's? If you replay the tape, absolutely not. Uh, was it premeditated by the umpires? I don't think so at all. They were that and good. They were that good. They, 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 gave, they gave you the illusion that their ball was a strike when it wasn't. 
that's why they're all first ballot hall of famers. And I talked to Glab about it. I said, Tommy, you know, all, especially in the nineties, they got a lot of heat around the league from, Oh, you give it two inches off the plate to Maddox and, and Glavin. And I'm thinking, you know, let's just be rational here. If, if I'm an umpire in the major leagues in 1995, and that's all I hear about is that I'm going to give Maddox and Glavin two inches off the plate. Don't you think in my professional heart of hearts and my integrity is going to say, you know what? I'm going to be damn sure that I call this game as fair as possible. And all of a sudden, Glav throws that first change up two inches off the plate and it's called a strike. It's not because he's given it to him. It's because Tommy Glavin is Tommy Glavin for a reason. He gives you the illusion that that change up's in the zone when it really isn't. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Uh, this, is high, this is high. This is high level stuff, Rich. Well, I'm trying to earn the fact that I want to hang out with you in <laughs> Seattle at the All Star Game because the last time we were at the All Star Game together, you know what happened? Blew you off. You did. You probably um, did. <laughs> what's Boone watching this week? Boone, what is Boone watching? Oh, by the uh, way, can I can I take it? Can I take a little side note here? Sure. Can I take it a little down the rabbit hole. Doug Gellin was on the podcast this week. Yes. Internally, the staff of the Boone podcast was going back and forth. Doug Allen, Doug Allen, entourage, entourage, Doug Allen. I listened to it this morning, and I have to tell tell you in front of God and everybody, damn good guest. Great guest. And I was the one internally speaking. I love that word, internally. I was the biggest advocate. Just because I'm a fan of the show. Yes. And, and I love getting the perspective. And how did you come up with this idea? Who was, you know, who are all these guys? Who's Ari Gold? Who Who is he? John what, inspi- what inspired you to put Ari Gold? It's always like, oh, my cousin. or my, Well, you got to listen to the podcast. But, yeah, I love Entourage. Start to finish. Uh, only, only series, you know, as a self-described binge watcher only series i've ever watched cover to cover i did it twice and uh it was just as good the second time great guest he was a lot of fun so all if right you, if you didn't listen to that i i suggest you do because again internally which means brett and i were going back and forth i'm like i don't know how to make this work i don't know what we're gonna do how are we gonna make this work all said and done brett it was outstanding so you were right i'm usually right rich i know it's it's tough being brett boone what are you watching well, last week I, I gave away all my secrets. I got it. I, I jumped on another. Uh, I jumped on another episode of Succession, so I'm up. Uh, I'm up to snuff there. Uh, it's getting me back. I'm still trying it, to catch it, up. A Night Agent. It, Night Agent's really good. Yeah. I, I'm already done those. Uh, I don't have a new series right now. I went to the movies though, which I rarely do these days, and I saw uh, The Covenant. I, I believe you suggested it. It was really good, but I'm a I'm a I'm a guy Richie fan. Right. Uh his last movie that of note that I remember was The Gentleman with Matthew McConaughey, one of my favorite movies in the last 10, 15 years. And when I heard Guy Richie was making the covenant, uh, I definitely went and saw it. Uh really good. Really good. Yeah. About the Af- Afghanistan with withdrawal more of a documentary than than yeah. a gentleman type movie but uh really eye-opening and um yeah i enjoyed it so not too exciting this week what i'm watching because uh, i went to one movie I, I, you know what it was it was interesting because you and i were talking about it. i think we saw it like three hours apart i think i went first and you were going as i was coming out to the movies but interesting i have a guy who worked at a tailor shop in Rancho Bernardo, when I used to live near you, in San Diego, and he was actually an Afghan interpreter, and he went out with the SEAL teams. He went out with the Rangers, and he did what that interpreter did. So, from the stories that I got from my friend Johnny, who lives in in, in Poway, San Diego, 
um, to watching the story. I mean, the stuff that Johnny told me about what his life was like and what the interpreter in the movie was like, so realistic. So I'm going to give it two thumbs up. I, I, I go watch it. And I love stuff like that too, because you know whether it's it doesn't matter in life, whatever we do. You just mentioned Doug Ellen. It's like I love talking to Doug Ellen. I don't know diddly squat about being a producer or a writer. I love talking football because I, I I'm not an expert in the right. NFL. I love talking to basketball guys about the X's and O's because I'm kind of a fish out of water and I learn from that. Uh, I have no idea what it's like to be, you know, it, it, not only in a, in a country where there's war going on, but what that relationship is with, like you said, the Afghan interpreter, what is his role? What is that relationship with, with a Navy SEAL? Right. And because it's kind of a forced relationship in, in a, in a tough, uh, tough, obviously tough situation, but it's really cool to see, uh, you know, and, and as realistic as they can make it. I hope that was realistic. It's just a different side yeah. of life that, that I haven't, you know, I've gotten so many cool things to do in my life, Rich, but stuff like that. It's just like, I don't know what that's like, but it's really cool to see what it's like and where they, where they create that bond and, and it's just different. Yeah. What's something you got to see. Okay. So when you have grandkids one day and they go, Papa, what's the coolest thing you ever did? What will you say? Coolest thing I ever did was, uh, this is kind of corny. Things have changed in my life. You know, I always thought the coolest thing I ever did was, uh, you know, hit a home run seven rows deep in the upper deck at Safeco Field because nobody really hits them in the upper deck. So that used to be the coolest thing I've ever done, uh, being my first home run derby. But as life gets gets on and and we kind of separate, I did a lot of cool things professionally. The coolest thing I I get to do right now is just watch my kids. You know, I've got two 18 year olds are about to be 19 and I've got two kids that are, that are in their twenties and just watching them move on with their life, getting nervous while my son, you know, playing in the minor leagues and I can't help them at all. Uh, <laughs> but those are the things in life that are really cool for me. So, so I I'd have to say that all my professional stuff, I was blessed to do for a long time, but the coolest things are watching my kids to watch my daughter get married this off season. I haven't yeah. done it yet. Uh, I, oh, you're, I'm, are not, you gonna cry? I'm not really an emotional guy, but I probably will. I'm, I don't want to think about it now. I don't want to think. Oh about no. It I want to see you cry on demand. No, I can't. I'm a bad actor. That's one thing I am. I'm a bad. <laughs> yeah. Actor. By the way, if you listen to the Doug Ellen podcast, you will hear how bad Brett is as an actor. Yeah, I've had a couple a couple roles and, and they didn't. Get out <laughs> <laughs> All right, last thing, we end the podcast. And again, by the way, I just want to thank everybody, and I especially want to recognize Mike, who's our producer, and he puts everything up, and all the the folks at Odyssey that have invited us into the Odyssey Sports family, um, all the radio stations that are supporting the podcast as well, Brett. Um, you go on with a lot of different stations around the country. I want to recognize all of those and thank them for supporting the podcast. Uh, but I also want to make sure we do want to mention we have new listeners come to the podcast every day, especially now that we've teamed up with Odyssey. So the best way to get the podcast every day that we release it three times a week, please subscribe to it on the Odyssey app or uh, Apple or wherever you get your iTunes, uh, Spotify, wherever you get our, our show. Make sure that you subscribe to it. And if you can, leave us a review um, and share it with your friends and help grow this podcast even bigger than it is right now. So I did want to make sure that we we recognize that. And again, uh, Yankees 25BB, thank you for the review. And um, it helps spread the word and it helps pump up the podcast. So if you enjoy the show, if you like what Brett's doing, we'd appreciate it if you would. Um, just make sure that you download the Odyssey app uh, subscribe to our podcast and uh, and help us spread the word. All right, so we finish up the podcast every week with hashtag Boone approved. All right, what do we got this week, Rich? Hecklers, hecklers, hecklers. So I'm watching NBA. Um, I went to I went and watched Arizona University of Arizona play the Air Force Academy, and they had some pretty good hecklers in the crowd. Uh, I'm going to go see the Giants and the Diamondbacks. Uh, this weekend, it's my wife's. It's my 25th wedding anniversary. 
Ask my wife, what do you want to do? She goes, let's go to a baseball game. Now, you know why I married her, right? She's the woman who took me to Cooperstown for a honeymoon. We sit in the ballpark. I can't heckle because the last time I tried to heckle, somebody recognized my voice and somebody walked down. Hey, you're Rich Herrera. So I don't heckle anymore. Uh, but there is an art to heckling. And there's some pretty good ones. So I want to know, Boone, heckling, cat calling from the stands, is it Boone approved? Uh, can I put it into context? Yes, you can do what you want. Okay. A heckler for the average guy, it's definitely not approved. You're a clown. You're not a professional at it. It's like the guys that, the guys that you, on Twitter that are really good at it and everything they say, it makes you think like, wow, that was a real smart, smart tweet. They're professionals. They're good at it. That's what they do. Same thing with heckling. Anybody can't heckle. Most of them are, give me a, it's so stale, you suck, you this, okay, whatever. Some people are mean. They go to the mom jokes. I don't appreciate those guys. But the guys that are really good at it, it even if it's even if it's making fun of me and, and showing me in a bad light, if you have high brow, high intellect heckling, Absolutely, Boone approved. I love it. I, nothing. If you can roast me, even though you're saying something negative about me, and you can get me to turn around and laugh and smile, that's what I would do to a heckler. If a guy was a really good heckler, he'd say something. I'd turn around and I'd give him a little. That was pretty good. But the <laughs> average guy that just wants to be loud you and suck, Boone, right, you're awful. Go right, home. Right. He's had too many beers. He's just stupid. Those guys are a waste of my time. But the real heckler that. Like I said, high level, astute, high intellect heckles, absolutely Boone approved. What's the best uh, line? Do you remember? Somebody got you? No, I usually got them. What would you say? Oh, I don't know. It depends. It had to. Come All right. To so if I wanted to heckle you, you're going to talk about my height. Hey, yeah. Boone, can I get you a phone book so you can reach the plate? My answer to you would: you should see how tall I am when I'm standing on my wallet. That would be good, right? That would be good. Or what? Uh, you know what? What would I do? I call you by the wrong name. That would get you. I, I'd probably give you a look and make you feel stupid. I'd get to give you like, come on, you got anything better? I used hey, to do Bob that. Hey, Bob Boone, you're my favorite player. A good one. Come on, give me something I can work with. That's what I would do to you. Yeah, I'd call you Aaron. <laughs> that that might get me. That might make that might make me laugh. <laughs> After he hit the big home run, now he's the Yankees manager. I got to deal with it a little bit. I still smile when they say, "Are you Aaron's brother?" I laugh and I go, "You know, I've always been Aaron's. Always been my brother." Right. Now all of a sudden, but now, you know what? Now I once again, I'm I'm mature and rich. I'm getting a little bit older. I'm starting to appreciate things in life. I don't take it personal. It's like Aaron's the Yankee manager right now. Yeah. I'm proud of my little brother. Yes. I'll be, for this gentleman right here, I'll be Aaron's brother for a minute. Hey, I think you're proud of, of your brother, Matthew, who's the king of, uh, who's a titan king in of industry, turf. right? He's the king of turf. Yeah, Matthew Boone. What's He's, the name of his company? Boone Action Turf. Boone Action and, Turf. And Matthew. Maddie's a beast. He's yeah, he, say, he, he might be the most successful of the three I'll, of you. You know what's great? Because Maddie took a long long time to, to get to the point where he's at. A lot of hard work. Him and my dad started the company 10, 15 years ago. And uh, now he's kicking butt. And he, I, I used to try to do favors for Matthew back in the day. Like if I had a buddy that wanted to put a putting green in or they needed their front lawn and they wanted that fake ash, I'd call, I'd give him, hey, my, you should really use my brother. And my brother would bend over backwards and, and uh, give him a great deal and come back and do like 50 square feet. And, and that's what you do when you're getting into the business and you hustle. Now I'll call Matthew and I'll be like, hey, he needs a putting green in his backyard. Well, tell him he, he's better off uh, just – just getting quoted out down at San Diego. I don't have time for those small jobs. So he's <laughs> he he's grown, but uh no, I'm proud of him. He's 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 kicked butt and he's now, you know, if you don't have a if you don't have a uh, varsity football field to be done, I, I don't even call Matthew Boone. There you go. All right, that's gonna do it for the podcast for this week. Thanks everybody. Don't forget, subscribe, leave us a review. 
Uh, Damn, Rich, you're, you're, like a, you're like an infomercial. See, that's why I got you, too. I like this seat. I don't have to pitch like you. There you go. Hey, thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll, oh, by the way, who's coming up this week? I forgot to you, – you threw me off for my clothes. Uh, hopefully, we're going to have John Daly. But, uh, we're working on Daly. On, on Monday, we are going to have Todd Stottlemyre. We got Jason Isringhausen, the Met, and the uh, and the St. Louis Cardinal Hall of Famer. Uh, so, Stottlemyre – great family great career he had as himself but it was it was pretty cool talking to todd about the the similarities that we have family wise his brother was a pitcher he was his pitcher his father mel stoudemire was a great pitcher with the yankees and pitching coach in, the, in that yankee run uh, but it made me think a lot and i'm like wait a minute my dad was a hitter i was a hitter aaron was a hitter so pretty yeah. cool stuff so stoudemire uh is ringhausen and and hopefully we'll get jd there you Tough go. Tough to track down. There you go. Hey, that's going to do it for the podcast uh, for this go-round. Thanks so much for joining us for the Red Booth Podcast. Everybody, see you next time. <laughs>